This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Delighted to be joined by our next guest. You can find her as a host of Sports Night weeknights over on Channel 2, but of course mainly on Fox 31 where she covers sports there. Taylor Kilgore, Taylor Kilgore 33 on Twitter. Taylor, thanks for joining us. I know it's a very, very busy day in Bronco land with the uh, roster movement, and it has been kind of an interesting one. What Sandy and I were talking about just before you joined us was how quickly in the last maybe 72 hours fans are starting to realize that Sean Payton's guys, whether that's Marquez Calloway or little Jordan Humphrey or trade for Will Lutz or Michael Burton or Adam Troutman, how impactful that is when it comes to making this roster. Yes. Oh, yes. Hello, gentlemen. Good to join you as always. Um, busy indeed. Uh, and yes, you're exactly right. And I guess it makes sense, right? You look at his coaching staff and one of the first things he said when he landed in Denver, it feels so good to have my guys here. You know, he brought he brought coaches from many walks of life and um, but mostly guys with a lot of history. And that's definitely translated to the roster as well. And it makes sense because I think when you've, you know, gone to battle with certain players, you you have a certain level of trust. And who wouldn't want to be surrounded by um, players they have history with? And clearly we're seeing it um, time and time again with uh, Coach Payton. On the on the flip side, and that is certainly all legitimate, I have the sense that the three of us could have made at least 90% of these cuts the same way the Broncos made them. Fair. And I, I'm not sure that's a great thing for a team coming off a 5 or 12 season with, with so much that has changed, and there definitely has been a lot of change, but I wonder if if you feel the same way when I hear uh, people in media and fans say after a bad year, let's clean house, at least in the NFL. Nobody can do that (laughs) as a practical matter. You can't wipe out everybody. No, absolutely not. But we know so much about this is a numbers game. And the reality is to to be able to cut the chunk that you have to from camp to now. I mean, it's a crazy number when you think of it and, and it's meticulous to go through that roster. I think you inherit a ton of talent that you're really excited about, but we don't know Sean Payton. He talks a lot about consistency and I think he's a guy that's old school and wants a straight up player. What can you do? What can you do every single day consistently? If you can do this thing, I can use you on offense or defense. When a player maybe has a lot of upside coming, they're headed in the right right direction but aren't quite there yet, he might be a guy that um, isn't wanting to wait around for it. And so it's interesting to see the, the psychology behind these, these moves because you have George Payton, you have Sean Payton, you have an entire you know front offense collaborating on their decisions. You have position coach advocating for their guys and how do those discussions go? Um, I think what you said about we could have made a a bulk of these decisions. Sure. um, A lot of that is paired with the fact that we're listening day in, day out to what coach is telling us, giving us a little insight on how he's feeling. I think that gave us a little insight into the Albert O situation, surely, because we're looking at the last two weeks from Albert O going, wow, He's really doing what we thought he could do these past three years. And the coaches weren't 
um, overly excited well, about no, it. No, they were yes, showcasing you know it. I mean? They were clearly they showcasing They were absolutely it. putting together a beautiful tape, and man, did they get that Saturday. Well, sure. And it worked out for them, sure. sure. But it's just funny because you hear them, you're going, hey, are they excited about this mountain of a man that we've been waiting to kind of break out and kind of bring – do what he should be capable of doing, and and they weren't that excited about it. So I think there's a lot of insight about that that you can pick up with, with who they like, who they expect more from, who they want to be here, and who they're ready to part with. And I think that was clear today on Final Cut Day. I, I'm putting you on the spot maybe a little bit here, but there's one name on defense that I have in mind and one name on offense. Guys who I think during the month of August made the team. They, they certainly weren't locks to make it at the beginning of August, but by the end of August, it became obvious. And I, I'll tell you who I'm thinking of, but I'm wondering if you have maybe in your own mind other examples of guys who made the team during training camp. But I'm thinking, obviously, McLaughlin on offense. And well, I'm, thinking, I'm just waiting for you to. I, I, I'm just waiting for you to open the floor for McLaughlin. Right. You know, he's well, been my guy from day one. Right, and I want you to talk about him. But on defense, <laughs> on defense, honestly, even if Kwan Williams had mm-hmm. not been injured and now undergoes ankle surgery, I'm not sure that a Sang Bassi mm. would not have beaten him out. I thought Bassey was the one guy on defense who I thought going into camp, boy, they got a lot of corners. I'm not sure they can keep him. He won a spot. Oh, he absolutely In the last did. month, don't you agree? I completely agree. I think you're spot on right there, and I think that's what camp is for, right, especially with the model of the preseason games. I mean, he's saying as a guy that we saw, what, three interceptions in three games. And by the end of it, you just see him blossoming in this defense, and you're you're going, yeah, glad he's on our team. Um, that's what you want to see. I think that's what Sean Payton wants to see. Vance Joseph wants to see guys like that that, that they can work with, especially with K1 and his decision. Now, I don't know about K1. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that Isang would have beat him out in my mind. Maybe you're right there. Um, I guess we won't know. It did feel like K1 has been injured for a really long time. Um, so when the update came out yesterday, I'm like, man, when did he go down at training camp? Cause I August know it was 7th. early on. August 7th. Okay. Yeah. It First feels week. like it was longer ago. Yeah. It, well, it even feels longer, um, than that. I, cause then you look at the calendar and it's only been a few weeks, but yeah, uh, hopefully he is back because the more weapons, uh, Vance can have to work with, it's better for everyone. But, um, Ethan Bassey, I'll say is someone I'm really enjoying, watching this preseason and I just hope that that he can keep that ball hawk nature um going for us because we know turnovers are so key and we need a defense that's turning it over and it can't all be Justin Simmons we're talking with uh Taylor Kilgore from Fox 31 and uh while offensive lineman Alex Polchewski is expected to be placed on a short-term IR he was injured he hurt his hand in that uh, preseason finale on Saturday as it stands, at least right now, you would be looking at Palchewski, you'd be looking at McLaughlin, but you'd also be looking at tight end Nate Adkins, who beat uh, yes. Abu out, yep. and outside linebacker uh, Thomas Incombe. That's four undrafted four. rookies on the 53. Now, I'm sure that on one hand, the team would like to say, look at how good our scouting is. On the other hand, 
Um, most of the teams that you're thinking of Super Bowl contenders don't have room for four undrafted rookies. So which is it? Well, it's a great point. I think you could argue both sides of the coin. For me, I get excited about these players because I think there's a lot of talent out there that does go undrafted. And when you find a diamond in the rough that, that can turn that into an an amazing career, like a, like a Todd Davis, and all of a sudden you have this NFL vet um, that was undrafted. It's, it's a great story. You love to hear those stories. Four is a lot. Um, I'm not concerned about it. I feel like the uh, Nate Atkins situation is um, unique because we know how staffed that tight end room is, but it did become very obvious that Albert O was not their guy. Uh, Nate Atkins is, Sean Payton's guy to a sense that he was here, you know, clearly he wanted him here. Um, he inherited Albert O. So in that situation, I think it's just a, a matter of, I don't think Albert O was their guy and they were ready to move on with him and they wanted to find some value and they, they got a little bit. Um, but Jaleel McLaughlin's the one I'm so excited about yeah. because I think you're watching him and you're going, this guy is magic out there on the field. And I just hope that it can continue to translate. He's a guy that doesn't seem happy to be here. He's, he's a guy that seems like, yep, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be, and I'm ready to mix it up. And, um, man, I felt like when he scored that first touchdown on Saturday, I'm going, he could score four more times tonight if, if they wanted him to. <laughs> it really feels like that. Um, so I'm excited to see him make that final 53. I love the story of the undrafted guy that that shocks shocks the the staff and makes the team and hopefully goes on to do big things so i'm i'm taking the side of optimism in this way well i think you have to that's kind of the take i I always take and i I think you're right because i think we knew coming in that the broncos because of the the idea sandy put it out clearing the decks you can't this is a salary cap league it doesn't work that way so you have you can't turn over an entire roster in a year even if you wanted to so at least at the moment you're going to have to find ways to improve your roster from either the draft or this process or the waivers mm-hmm. or trades. So at least they are getting the returns from that part of the equation. But McLaughlin, I'm going to go back to him for a second. I want to ask you first, Taylor, and then actually I would like Sandy yeah. to respond to it. Sean Payton during his time frame, I think of one player that looked like Jaleel McLaughlin that really didn't get a lot of traction around the league and then exploded. Darren Sproles. And when I see yeah. Jaleel McLaughlin, I see a little bit of Darren Sproles. Oh, definitely. Well, I'll, t- I'll take the first argument here that um, Sean Payton has said that at the podium. He, he said, he called, what did he call them? He compared Jaleel to a Darren Sproles. And he also said they're a... Well, he had he Reggie Bush in there, too. He did have Reggie Bush in there as well. But I, what did he call them? He called them a difference, difference maker, a mm-hmm. different... Whatever it was, he was referring well, yeah, to yeah, it changed of pace. I know he used a term, and I can't remember yeah. it either. Well, but that, the basically, was, it would yeah. change a pace back. That yes. wasn't the term, Someone, but that—that's yes. the the kind of guy who gives the you speed when you do it. don't otherwise yep. have a tremendous amount of speed on this team. Generally, yep. which means even though you're the third back, there's room for you to make an impact. As limited Ooh, as it may big be, big time room. I think I think that's exactly what he was talking about, and I think when you're halfway through training camp and you're getting compared to um, to company like that, you're in a good spot. And so I'm really excited about the Jaleel McLaughlin rookie season. Um, I'm excited to see where we go with him. And I, like I said, I'm just glad he made the roster because I want to see more of them. Um, we don't need to dwell on this because who knows? Maybe in the regular season, Greg Dulcich 
will be just fine, and he's certainly going into this season a lot healthier than he was at this time a year ago. But of all the people in training camp who disappointed, to me, Mm. he was at the top of the list because it was assumed going in that his receiving talents alone would make him the number one tight end. And Sean Payton has been true to his word. If you don't block as a tight end, you can't play for him. And I think Dulcich is a better blocker than Albert O, but not by much. And even as a receiver, I think those of us who watched both practices and the games thought that Troutman was better at both. And he was a more reliable receiver, too. I think Adam Troutman is the best at everything in that tight end room as far as, like, yes, you can make the argument that Greg Dulcich is is an incredible receiving threat. You can make the argument that Chris Manhurts is the best blocker, right? And then you have Nate Adkins, and he's going to develop and, and do his thing. But Adam Troutman kind of does it all and he does it well so I think it doesn't surprise me that he would have that number one spot but I don't think they're looking at it like oh he's the number one and we'll see if um you know Greg Dulcich gets the you know number two rep I think we're going to see them working two tight ends and I think they're going to be very creative to use Dulcich obviously he's not going to be the best blocker compared to a Chris Manhurts and a Troutman right away, but we do know that that's something that he's really focusing on and trying to improve on. That's going to take time. Um, but, man, he's a playmaker, and that's what we know. And right now, especially with Jerry Judy out, the Broncos need their yeah, playmakers. They're, so they're think, hurting for playmakers. Yes, so I think we're definitely going to see Greg Dulcich um, get his his plays and get, his, um, get plenty of use out there. So I'm not really worried about – the the depth chart in the tight end room, I think they all bring a lot, and I think they're going to be used a lot. Yeah, and I think more for blocking than people think as well. I think this team's going to be yeah. more of a run and play action offense than people think, and that leads us to our last one for you, Taylor. We've uh, here, sure. it is, here it is cut day, and uh, Sandy and I are an hour and change into our show. We haven't talked about Russell Wilson. I mean, look at that. that how, look how that diverts <laughs> attention. But now it all lands back. On Wilson again, it feels like, and how the do pressure. how do things change? Oh. Now we know who the Broncos are. Now we know what they're working with. Now it's back to can Russell Wilson be the guy that he was prior to the disastrous year he had last year. Your early thoughts on that, given the fact that let let Russ Cook is out the window. This may be a power running team with play action on the offense. Well, I think we've heard it time and time again, straight from the podium. Sean Payton running is going to be a part of his team's DNA. Russell Wilson, very clear on the identity of this offense. And I think, you know, he is all on board for it because I think he, he recognizes what he wanted last year or what was, you know, put on the field didn't work. So uh, we saw a completely different Russ. Every time I see him, I'm like, this is a different guy. He, he's different physically and he's different in his approach to the podium. He's different on the field. Um, we saw those bursts in game two. I think Sean saw everything he needed to see from Russ. I think Russ did everything he wanted to do in the preseason. And now I, I have to imagine he feels way more equipped for the, for week one than he did this time last year. Um, I'm excited for the chance at a really big season from Russ. Um, simply because of the way things went off the rails last year. And I think he's just a guy set up for a comeback and he has uh, the leadership that it seems like um, 
could work in his favor. So I really am pulling for Russ this year. I think week one, we're all going to be excited to see how that goes against the Raiders, um, a division test right out of the gates. And hey, in front of the home crowd, start it with a win. Let's just, let's get the ball rolling. But I'm really pulling for Russ this year. And I think he put in the work this off season to change, like I said, his physical appearance, his speed. He's a guy that showed up to camp day one, ready to go. And it showed. And I think those reps in the preseason were massive. It's got to be to be out there, you know, put on the cleats, really take, take a couple hits, take a couple runs, uh, gain speed. I think there's value in that. And so the whole new theory about not playing the starters in the preseason, well, maybe if Sean Payton's here coaching for 10 years and he's had, you know, an offense that has a couple new pieces, then maybe they, they play a couple snaps and that's it. But that's not the case this year. There's a lot of new happening. And so I think there's a lot of value in that preseason. And I think Russ will definitely benefit from that. She is Taylor Kilgore. Make sure you give her a follow at Taylor Kilgore 33. Catch her on Fox 31. And, of course, uh, every night is those to Colorado Sports Night as well. Taylor, appreciate it. It'll be a Raiders week before we know it. It's sort of Raiders week and a half, I guess. But it counts because the Broncos are looking to turn things around under Sean Payton. And already it does, even though without a game, feel very different. Thanks so much for joining us. Sandy, Sean, always a pleasure. Looking forward to this season and, and chatting again. Thank you. We will. Absolutely. Taylor joining us there from Fox 31. And uh, as mentioned tonight, catch you on Croto Sports Night as well. The ap- approach by Peyton when it comes to the preseason, I think Taylor did point that out. It, it's, it's important. And it was important the way that Wilson participated. It's important the way things uh, had been built out. But I do wonder, and maybe we get a chance to discuss it here, Sandy, in a moment, the idea that if Peyton is to be believed. And thus far, he has given no indication that he hasn't really done anything he's said, even though sometimes it happens in some more bombastic fashion than you might think. If this really is a team where they look at it and say, we have three pretty good running backs, we have a good run blocking line, not that good a pass blocking line, some good blocking tight ends, well, the sensible thing to do is, at least as long as you're not trailing, you should have a power running game and lean into play action where Wilson has had good success over the course of his career. Is Russell Wilson going to be stuck in a spot in which he doesn't like the offense, but it's actually better for him again? Will he bristle against that? Or, at this stage of his career, will he lean into it? We'll talk about that next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy, over the course of his career, Russell Wilson has averaged 30.16 passing attempts per game. And it was 30 on the nose in Seattle for 10 years. And it went just a bit over because he went a little over 32, 32.2 last year for the Broncos. Presumably, it's going to drop back to maybe that career average that Wilson apparently for years sort of bristled at. Has the disastrous year last year. He wanted closer to 35 than 30. Has the, the last year's disaster and the fact that we have seen him and i i understand that you and i have different 
viewpoints on how much of his old self he can recover, although I don't think either of us believe that he can get back to his peak that, season. That guy's gone. That, but that guy's gone. I think we've also talked about it before. I do. I think we do see an effort from him to try to function within the system that Sean Payton is asking him to function within. Do you believe that's a that's a change that can be lasting? Because I think we both would agree if he does, even though he might not love the offense, it's probably better suited for what he does well. Well, I I I don't think we know. Um, I don't think Russell Wilson has ever gone into a season under the kind of pressure that he will be confronting starting on September he 10th. He's never been the guy under the gun before. And now it isn't just on this team or in this division or conference. Yeah. Among all players in the NFL going into 2023, there is no one even close to being under as much you pressure told me as that Russell Wilson. during the break, and Not you're 100 percent right. I can't consider anybody. I mean, there, there's anybody, and we can all reach different conclusions on how he'll react to that. But there's no way of knowing for sure because he's never been under the gun like this right. before. He's uh, much to his chagrin, sort of been. Not necessarily in the background. But a facilitator, whether he wants to admit it or not, Mm -hmm. more than the guy who dominates and orchestrates and creates a tempo of it, it, he's got, uh, certainly he had in his prime, a fascinating assortment of skills. But he also had a lot of support, maybe not from his offensive line all the time, but, you know, we, we were talking about, and we'll talk about it more um, in the next 10 days prior to the opener. The top 100 players in the NFL, well, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett both made the top 100. Right needless now. to say, needless to say, there is no Bronco wide receiver, even a healthy Jerry Judy, right now, anywhere near the top 100. Over the last six games, yeah. Right. But that's six games in three years. Playmakers, and that's not, a, that, that's not enough. We just talked so about they're that with short Taylor Kilgore. On playmakers. They're short on playmakers. They are short on playmakers. And if Dulcich is only your number two tight end, I don't know. Maybe he is the best receiver among the tight ends, but he didn't show it in the preseason and he didn't show it on the practice field either. He had a bad camp but for someone who was not hurt. Now, other guys had disappointing camps, but maybe injuries had something to do with it. For someone who was their second most prolific playmaker last year, among receivers, among running backs, receivers, mm-hmm. tight ends. He was number two. It is. And he shows no signs of being that now. No. I don't know who is. Uh, with, with Judy Hurt, honestly, you would think, okay, at least we've still got Dulcich and against certain kinds of coverages the Broncos can take some advantage of that 
but that wasn't in evidence at all during the preseason. He turned into kind of the invisible man. And I, I think Taylor was right too. when she said the defense has now got to be the playmaking. It can't be just Justin Simmons on this team is what, yeah. And it can't be just Justin Simmons. Right. It's frankly, it's got to be Sertan and be, well, they weren't throwing at him first half of last year. Yes. The second half of the season, they were a little less reluctant to throw at him, and they had some success throwing at him. He's got to make more plays. Simmons has to be Simmons, but they they have to have a pass rush that, frankly, last year down the stretch, they did not have. And you can argue, well, they were worn down. Well, they played too much. The first half of the year, well, hell, the first 13 weeks of the season, they faced more possessions than any other defense in the NFL. So it's understandable. And they were worn down mentally and physically. The injuries got to them, to be sure, at the end of the year. You really go back and look at the kinds oh, of lineups they were putting on the field. Last year? Oh my By goodness. the end of the year on defense. Yeah. It's stunning. It's not very good. It's not very good. And they'll be starting this year. Uh, without a Williams, who was their nickelback, and actually had a decent year, I thought, last year. Not great, but decent. And, you know, you you, you don't know about the Frank Clarks and the Randy Gregories. So I, I, I look at this team overall and compare it to the other three teams in the division, it's not even close. There's so many more playmakers between the offense and the defense in Kansas City, in Los Angeles, and in Las Vegas. And that part just hard. are so many more. And it you, you you look at, in the top 100, how many players the Chiefs have. I think it's five. Chargers have uh, four or five. Raiders have three. Now that Josh Jacobs is back, right. Broncos have two. They've got Simmons and Sertan. And that's it. And of the top 33 ranked players, now again, ranked players, I mean, they had a follow-up piece today on executives picking apart their list, <laughs> and there there was notable disagreement. But see, here's here's the thing: nobody was saying, "How could Jerry Judy not be on that list?" Right. Nobody said that. How could True. Cortland Sutton not be on that list? How could Javante Williams not be on that list? How could Quinn Miners not be on that list? Uh, how could uh, Alex Singleton not be on that list? I mean, he has a ton of tackles, but. Nobody was making those arguments. And so I think there is a talent deficit here, at least with respect to the other three teams in the division. And, uh, you know, Sports Illustrated uh, came out with its, uh, it's the new and lesser version of Sports Illustrated. <laughs> yes. So they have a football issue. In the past, they'd have, a college football issue and a pro football issue, they'd be separate issues. This year, it's combined as one. And they take a shot at trying to break down every game, which I think is kind of senseless, but it's sort of a fun thing to look at. And they they look at that talent deficit, and the, the three games I've highlighted on the schedule, the Jets, New England, and Cleveland, all home games, they got to win all three of those if they're going to be a playoff team. And you know what? They probably have to beat Kansas City once if they're going to be a playoff team, too. The uh, 
deficit they, there. That talent deficit. They don't. They don't unbeat the Jets. Right. That talent deficit. The problem with that is, and they don't unbeat Kansas City either. That you can you can slice and dice this any way you want. Russell Wilson can't fix that. I don't care how well he plays. Russell Wilson could somehow turn back the clock. Russell Wilson could pop up this year and look like he did back when he led the league in touchdown passes in 2017. And there's still not enough playmakers. He can't do anything about that. And that's where I think when you talk about the pressure on Wilson, that it is somewhat concerning because Wilson is no fool. He also knows he can't do anything about that, but he also knows it's a quarterback's league. He's making the big bucks, and it's not going to land on him. If Lil Jordan Humphrey can't do what DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett did, right now with Jerry Judy out of Cortland Sutton and Marvin Mims, don't look like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and spoiler alert, they won't. (laughs) But you know who takes the hit for that? Wilson. And this is a guy that is concerned about his image, concerned about his legacy, and you're exactly right. We've never seen him under that kind of pressure. Well, and Ryan some Clark of it, said it the other day. We, we played Ryan Clark's comments here on this. He some said he every can't. Monday on ESPN they will be scrutinizing Russell Wilson's performance. And some of it doesn't have anything to do with Russell Wilson. I Russell Wilson can't in block fairness, for Russell Wilson. In all fairness, yeah. but Russell Wilson's got to get rid of the ball yep. faster. No, there's things he has to do. That may preclude many of the long passes mm-hmm. that allowed him to average right around eight yards per attempt during his Seattle years. Of course, that number was down to 7.2 last year. And the reason it was down so far was because he completed far fewer passes than he had in the past. Oh, yeah, like 60, I mean, 60, he went from 65 to 60, basically. Yeah. Uh, as a percentage passer, well, 60 is certainly not acceptable, and 65 is is average. It's fine, and when it's combined, if if you got 65 percent with eight yards per attempt, you, you're one of the top ten. Yeah, now you're fine. Sure, right. Then I don't care about the percentage at all. If it's eight yards an attempt, if it's 60 percent, it's 7.2, which it was last mm-hmm. year. I believe 7.2 is right. That's no good. That's what a backup and not a particularly good backup will give you. 60% and 7.2 yards per attempt. That's not even an outstanding backup quarterback. And it's certainly not a starter in the NFL. It's not good enough. And your point is, and I think it's a fair one, and we'll try to be fair throughout the season. I'll try to be as fair as I can be in accounting for the lack of playmaking talent around him mm-hmm. and the lack of pass blocking talent on the offensive line. But you know what? The quarterback gets credit sometimes that he shouldn't get too much of it. And he gets too much of the blame. And I thought the blame placed on Russell Wilson last year was more or less fair. We could go back week to week and have our disagreements. But I think overall he took 
a fair share of the blame. This year, without Hackett, he'll probably, I'll say not probably, almost certainly be better than he was last year. Uh, yeah. But he doesn't have Hackett around no. to absorb a lot of the blame. And so he will get more blame. Oh, and by the way, if the Broncos only improve by a couple of games, make of it what you will, that blame's not going to land on Sean Payton. That's one place it won't. It land. won't. Now, some of these things he doesn't have control of, as I pointed out, when you're talking about uh, receivers. Uh, you, when you looked at drops last year for the Broncos, here's who they had. Demetrio Washington had a drop. He's not on the team. Andrew Beck had a drop. He's not on the team. Mike Boone had two. He's not on the team. Albert Okawaven, I'm at two. Not on the team. Eric Saubert, two. Not on the team. Javante Williams had one in his brief amount of time. Kendall Hinton had four. Not on the team. Melvin Gordon had three. Not on the team. Besides Javante Williams, who had the one in the brief time, three of the guys are left. Greg Dulcich had two drops. That's not outlandish. One of the Broncos wide receivers had five drops. You might be able to guess who that is. The other Broncos wide receiver had nine drops, which was tied for the fourth most drops in the league. They're both still here. It's probably not the one you're thinking. Jerry Judy had five. Cortland Sutton had nine. Nine drops. Now, that's fine. I, I, I would have guessed the same thing. That's fine if you are Jamar Chase, who had 11, or Gabriel Davis, who had nine. Or he's a, catching, Jamar Chase is, yeah. at least a dozen passes that very few, if any, receivers or can Amari catch. Or Amari Cooper had 12, but still almost had 1,200 yards receiving and nine touchdowns. Right. You can live with you can live with the drops. Or Debo if Samuel, who had the same as nine. You, or, you can live extra with Extra catches. But with that many drops, Sutton, when you're talking about productivity by a wide receiver and not a tight end, that was abysmal among the top uh, 20 receivers and drops. More than twice as many drops as he should have had given. And by the way, almost twice as many as production. Jerry Judy, yeah. who gets that's right all the blame who for drops. almost had 1,000 yards last year. And he's the one that's hurt. So... Breaking this all down, yeah. it's going to be very difficult. Uh, Wilson is going to take the lion's share of the blame. That's what it is. That's the reality. But now it's going to be tricky to make sure you parse out where the challenges really are for the Denver Broncos. It will be fascinating. It really will. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Well, instead, try your hand with the local book. And that's our friends at Superbook this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. So bet with the best. And use promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, still waiting on the Broncos' uh, official release to find out where they stand, but we'll give you a, an overall viewpoint again. We'll refresh and reset and let you know what the Broncos are doing as they get into the next stage with waivers and practice squad happening tomorrow. We'll be back with more on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports.
the Denver Broncos have made their cuts. They uh, have not yet announced all of their cuts. They're being one of the uh, the last teams, at least according to the NFL, seems to uh, stand to do that. They're not in a, uh, a huge rush because they don't really have to be. But they are dealing with more fluidity, I think, than most teams are because they are trying to maneuver around the injury situation. There are going to be multiple players that are going to be placed on the short-term IR. K. Juan Williams, possibly Riley Moss, seemingly uh, Alex Palchewski, the uh, undrafted rookie lineman, not Jerry Judy. But because of that, they have to make a lot of different moves that are somewhat procedural in nature, and they're trying to do it all at once. This is probably a sign, though I think the Broncos roster is better than last year, that it is incrementally better, not substantially better. And as we talked about just about a half hour ago with Taylor Kilgore of Fox 31, the fact that the Broncos appear to have had four undrafted rookies make the 53-man roster, uh, that's good and bad. It's a double-edged sword. Yes. Uh, it, you know, and listen, it all four earned their place. Unquestionably. We're talking about McLaughlin and Nate Adkins and yep. Paul Chevsky, as we talked about, and outside linebacker right. Thomas Inko. Right. And, and we like them all. Uh, a couple of them we really, really like. But the Broncos had that long streak, remember, of undrafted free agents making mm-hmm. the final roster. Um, it, it's fine. It's nice. But it doesn't always equate to winning a bunch of games. And again, you're you're comparing, and it's the only comparison you can make. You're comparing this team with last year's team, right? And probably this team with last year's team in December more than last year's team in September. That's a good point, right? That's a good point. That's just the way our minds work: recency bias and all of that. We aren't able to compare the Broncos yet to anybody else, including the three other teams in the division, and we won't have that chance until September 10th when they do play the Raiders in what I think will be um, as important an opening game. And I'm not, I'm not going to say the, the two words <laughs> that involve uh, do or die, right. except do or die is three words, and I'm thinking of two right, right. other words. One starts with M, and the other starts with W. Mm-hmm. Um, no opening game can be characterized that way. No. But to say on the list but of the, important games, and ones in that recent winnable years, games. the Broncos have more often than not opened on the road. You like to win those, too. But when you're opening at home, especially against a divisional rival, and even more so against a divisional rival you haven't beaten in this decade. That appears to more or less be on you your level. You need that game, and that serves as a point of comparison, much more so than the next one in week two against Washington or in weeks three and four on the road at Miami and at Chicago. Uh Bill Barnwell, who loves the Broncos, was asked, uh, I believe, with Scott Van Pelt earlier this week. Might have been last night. I 
this. This is only Tuesday. It's only Tuesday. It had to have been last night. Right, right. Who's the most improved team in the NFL this year going to be? Didn't hesitate. Chicago Bears. Denver's weak. Helps to be in a bad division, too, yeah. But, well, but yes, yes, but he, he he wasn't just comparing them no, to the other teams I think in the division. They, they've structured he, he said things differently. In the entire league, wouldn't shock Chicago me. will be the most improved. Wouldn't shock me. They've been the hot name. Uh, keep in mind, by the way, Kwan Williams with the ankle surgery, PJ Locke safety with an ankle injury as well. Riley Moss had the sports hernia injury. That's three members of the defensive backfield. Uh, Baron Browning. Uh, will end up on the pup list, missing for those first four games. That means the players, the, the Broncos are going to move away from players that may come back. So with that note, in the last uh, really just about a minute and a half, Mike Kliss of Nine News reports that offensive lineman Quinn Bailey, cornerback Fabian Moreau, wide receiver Little Jordan Humphrey, and nose tackle Mike Purcell released. Now, notably, Mike Purcell had this happen to him last year in which the Broncos released him, waited for an injury, moved some guys around injury-wise, and then brought him back again. Right. So you don't see Purcell getting picked up by somebody else. Not in the not in uh, the 24-hour period. Right, right, exactly. Especially just coming back from injuries of his own. Right. And so I think that's what you're looking at uh, for the Broncos. Some of these guys, I suspect, uh, will be back. They will probably look at maybe add someone else. But those are those are the latest uh, as it stands. And I mentioned this yesterday. I think Mike Purcell will be back, but I'm not a hundred percent. And I'll tell you why. I thought that Elijah, you like your boy I, like, I thought Elijah Garcia playing from that position made some differences. Also from Parker Gabriel, the Denver Post, Marquez Callaway released again. Uh, that's for C. Callaway and Humphrey both played for Sean yeah. Payton. In the 2021 I, year, I my guess is procedural. with a bazillion receivers out on the market, oh, they the value for Sean Payton is higher than other teams. They're not oh. going anywhere, and they will probably both be back. And I think Purcell may be back too, but I don't yeah. think it's a lock. Because no, no it's Purcell I think is not the a Sean age, Payton the guy. injury situation, and, and not a Sean Payton guy. I, I think it's entirely possible. So that's where things stand as as they are. The Broncos, of course, will make more. Uh, moves when the IR gets assembled tomorrow. The waivers also get assembled tomorrow. But do you think we're going to have anything uh, shocking occurring, Sandy, at this point? Or do we think this is all again, yeah, this 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 person might move I, here I, there? I, I don't I'm see anything even, shocking. Yeah. We didn't get anything shocking. No, I'm today. not sure if a, a Mike Purcell not coming back would even qualify as shocking. Oh. You and I, not even close. You and I suspected surprising. that the Broncos were we were not they were trying surprising. to trade Albert Okawebenam, and they did. So these things aren't surprising either. And it does mean, though, that if that's accurate, the Broncos have four wide receivers on their roster right now: Cortland Sutton, Marvin Mims, Ginger, uh, Jerry Judy is injured, and Brandon Johnson. Now. I suspect nobody is going to go after one, Callaway one or Humphrey. Way or the other, Callaway and Humphrey will be back. I have a feeling that may be the case. And on well. the 53-man. I would think so, too. Uh, they're, they're very different receivers. Callaway's achieved for Peyton before. Right. Probably why Peyton didn't feel he needed to do a lot with him in the preseason. In Humphrey's case, lesser so, but there are not a lot of 6'4 bodies on this team that can catch. And Humphrey looked uh, very good. In the preseason, in his moments as well. Again, in the same as Okawebenam against threes and fours. But yeah, I, I well, think those are situations yeah. where, and we talk about it with wide receiver, that's the deepest position in the league. If for some reason those guys get scooped up, the Broncos can find other versions to bring out of their team. Yeah. 
So the wide receiver position, I don't I don't think you concern yourself with. The move for Will Lutz, surprising because of Lutz's year last year, not surprising. I think the story of the day, Sandy, is to a certain extent, surprising nobody who should know better. Sean Payton built a lot of this roster around his guys. Yes, I think that is the story. That is the story, and it will remain the story going into the season. Um, And it also confirms, in my mind, and, and perhaps in yours as well, that certainly without his guys, he didn't think this is a very good football team. Now, he may also have thought it was poorly coached and poorly managed. Clearly thought that. And all, he's expressed those thoughts. <laughs> but just because you express certain thoughts doesn't mean you have other thoughts that you choose not to express. Right. And for public consumption, he is not said, nor will he ever say, that the cupboard was absolutely bare when he got here. Uh, he won't say that, but apart from his guys, I think that's basically the conclusion he's reached. There ain't, there's not a lot of there there. That's why he got the job because he is being asked to make chicken salad out of chicken. You know what? And his record indicates um, certainly going back to his first year in new Orleans He's capable of pulling off a massive turnaround. I would only add, as we mentioned a couple of weeks back, I think, that 2005 in New Orleans was a Katrina year. Mm-hmm. The Saints didn't play any home games in 2005. They weren't very good, and they didn't have Drew Brees, but it remains a fact that they played no home games that year. So 3-13 and 13 was not a shock. And going from three and thirteen to ten and six, when they not only had home games in 06, they had raucous crowds because the fans were so thrilled to be able to go to something they could enjoy again after a year plus of dealing with Katrina, and I assume for years to follow, all a lot of people are still de- dealing with Katrina, but the Saints had an exciting team once they brought Breeze in and Peyton had some great drafts along the way, and they were an exciting football team. I think more exciting pre-Bounty Gate than post-Bounty Gate, but that's another subject for another day. I think the Broncos will be more exciting, at least. They're certainly looking more like a a competent NFL team again. We'll find out in not all that long when they open their season against the Raiders. The Broncos still have yet to announce their roster, about an hour behind their self-imposed uh, deadline, but we'll find out soon enough because, guess what? What you got tonight was going to change by tomorrow anyway. So we will find out, and we'll give you the latest when we get back tomorrow. Thanks to Taylor Kilgore from Fox 31 for joining us. Follow her on Twitter, TaylorKilgore33. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work thanks to all of you who are listening on the fm on the hd radio or watching or listening on mylifesports.com or you know just saving the time and the energy just grabbing my life sports app and getting everything we do here at the station and at the website and all the great reporting there as well even the new miley sports magazine a digital version of that if you haven't had a chance to get the physical one but i don't know why you haven't because it's free it's pretty easy pats your tens on the cover go check that out as well we will be back tomorrow for sandy clough i'm sean drotar Keep it right here on Miley Sports. So show me family.
the blood.